Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. So welcome to the podcast. This is episode 204. Episode 204. What I'd like to talk about here initially is um, anti-Semitism and affirming the consequent. Anti-Semitism and affirming the consequent. I've written a few times about anti-Semitism. I've written a few times about Jews and, and the people who have a conspiracy take about the Jews and people who are hostile to Jews, and, and then there are, of course, Christian Zionists, usually found among dispensationalists, who are fans of Israel no matter what. And so there's a wide array of, uh, of views on this opinion, and these opinions are all, all of them strongly held. So I've written about anti-Semitism in the past, and, and I've noticed something about a few of the reactions, which uh, where the affirming the consequent comes in. So le- let me explain what affirming the consequent is first. Affirming the consequent, there, in a hypothetical syllogism in logic, if I say something like, if P, then Q, okay? If I study, then I will get an A, okay? If I study, then I will get an A. If you affirm the consequent, Q, I got an A, and then conclude P, Therefore, I must have studied. That is a fallacy, and it's the fallacy of affirming the consequent. It's the fallacy of affirming the consequent. Here's a better example. If this is a dog, it will have four legs. If this is a dog, it will have four legs. This animal here has four legs. Therefore, it's a dog. Well, you can see right off that it could be a cat, could be a moose, could be a cow, could be any number of quadrupeds. So if somebody says, if P, then Q, and then says Q, affirms the consequent, and then concludes P, then he is guilty of fallacious reasoning. Okay, now, what happens is when you say, when, when people are getting into anti-Semitic theorizing, it's not, at first, it's not anti-Semitic to point out that a number of bad actors in the world have been Jews. That's, that's not anti, anti-Semitic, because the Christian faith teaches uh, the heart of every man is desperately wicked. That is true of black men. That's true of white men. That's true of Asians. That's true of Jews. That's true of men, true of women. Everybody's heart is deceitfully wicked. We are all of us a piece of work. Anti-Semitic conspiracy thinking wants to say that this person is doing evil things because he is a Jew. Okay? Because he is a Jew. Now, the problem with this is uh, if I say, and this other guy over here who is a world-renowned violinist, or this other guy who just won the Nobel Prize in chemical engineering, is he doing that because he's a Jew? What's, what's going on here? Uh, what's, what's happening is if someone says, if evil deeds are going down, then there's a Jew involved. If evil deeds are going down, there's a Jew involved. Look, look at this Jew involved. Therefore, evil deeds are going down. Therefore, that's the driving force in it. And, and the thing I've seen, and there's a, there are no doubt better ways to formulate 
that into an affirming the consequent um, structure. But I've I've seen clearly many times when I've said, look, um, the Jews are a high performance people. They uh, they are disciplined. They have they place a great value on education and literacy. And when they go bad, they go really really bad. And when they go good, they go really really good. Uh, so my position is simple, and that is not that Jews are bad, but that bad Jews are bad, and that good Jews are good. And I'm speaking here not in terms of salvation or acceptance by God into heaven, but rather civic good and civic bad. In other words, the 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 Jew who discovers some new medicine is contributing to common grace. He's contributing to the civic, and his education, the discipline of his people, enables him to go farther. And when someone takes a wrong turn and decides to embrace some form of left leftism or progressivism, his education background enables him to go farther, and that is that that is a two tons of no good, right? So that is that is very important to emphasize. But I I believe that you are radically mistaken. I believe that the person is radically mistaken when he is attempting to locate the problem in the Jewishness, right? He's, when he's attempting to locate the problem in the Jewishness. Think of it this way. If there's an international Jewish conspiracy, then there are Jews involved. Q. Look, here, Goldstein here is involved. Therefore, there's an international conspiracy. That's probably the best way to think of it. If there's an international Jewish conspiracy, then there will be Jews involved. Look, here's Goldstein. He's a Jew. He's involved. Uh, therefore, there is this conspiracy. That is affirming the consequent, and it's just not helpful. So, I think that as far as, and again, it's very important to emphasize, I'm a Christian. I believe that the only way through to salvation is through Jesus Christ, and I believe that a Jew who rejects the Messiah is lost. I believe that he is shutting himself out from his only possible hope of salvation. But I think he can be a great next-door neighbor and and contribute to the civic good through common grace, through God's common grace. And I don't think we need to be worried about Jewishness as such. I think we need to be worried about it when it goes bad, but I don't think we need to be worried about it as such. We're continuing on with episode 204 of the podcast. In our study of hamartiology, we have come now to the word dulea. Dulea, D-O-U-L-E-I-A, dulea, which is rendered as bondage. So, there is a related word, doulos, which means slave, and I decided not to chase down all the different uses of that word, and, and the reason I decided to refrain from doing that is because it's no sin to be a slave. The word doulos is used of physical slavery, uh, slavery to sin, and slavery to Christ. The thing that makes the condition of slavery a sin or not depends entirely on the uh, identity of the slave owner. So, being a slave is not a sin. But being a slave to sin is a sin, right? Being a slave to Christ is uh, not a sin. So, just the condition of being a doulos is not a sin. But with this related word, doulea, the New Testament always speaks of it negatively, always. In the New Testament, it is used uniformly to speak of spiritual bondage. It is the same thing as with the word doulos, but in this case, the masters are always hard and harsh. So, you might have a kind master 
in Christ and be a doulos. You might be a uh, you might be enslaved to you might be Onesimus enslaved to Philemon, and that that's not a, a sin. But in Romans six, if you're a slave to sin, you're obviously in sin. But Dulea, it's always negative. In the first instance, the master is fear. In Romans 8.15, it says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So, uh, as we come into a relationship with God our Father, we haven't received the spirit of bondage again to fear. So, there is such a thing as bondage to fear. In the second, the master is corruption. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's Romans 8.21. So, bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So, corruption, clearly a bad thing, clearly something that you want to be freed from. In the third, it is the law as a principle of justification. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, Galatians 4.24. So, the bondage here, Paul is talking about the, uh, the legalistic Pharisees of his day who were bound to the law as a principle of justification, and this is what brought them under bondage. A few, a few verses later, it's the same thing. The law as a means of justification is a slave driver. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, but in order for that to be the relationship that we have, God's grace has to be poured out. God, that has to be a gracious relationship. When a sinner comes into contact with the law as a principle of justification, that law is a slave driver. Stand fast, stand fast therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So, the yoke of bondage there is the law as a principle of justification. And then, in the last instance, it is the fear of death. In Hebrews 2.15, it says, And deliver them who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. All their lifetime subject to bondage. So, uh, the master's fear up in Romans 8.15, the spirit of bondage again to fear, and then in Hebrews 2.15, the same thing here. It's a little more specific. It's the fear of death. My book review uh, this time around is a book by John Flavel, a Puritan writer, and this book is called Triumphing Over Sinful Fear. Triumphing Over Sinful Fear. One of the things I am uh, very pleased with is the... um, the increasing the uh, the resurgence of Puritan works being made accessible to the modern reader, and that's what this is. John Flavel uh, was a 17th century uh, writer, Puritan, and he wrote this little treatise on dealing with sinful fear. What happens when you're afraid of persecution? What happens when you're afraid? You know, all of the, all of the different things that people can be afraid of. And I think that we in our modern era are very coddled. Generation and not coincidentally, I think we're we are a very fearful generation. I think that it was only our extreme susceptibility to fear 
that made all the lockdowns even possible, made it even a possible thing, uh, or the masks. And you, and you see people walking around. <laughs> you know, if you see someone out on a bike path out in the country wearing a mask, there is um, just fear. Now, Christians have been liberated from fear. The reason, the reason we fear these things, the reason we fear what other, others will say, or the reason we fear that we're going to get sick and die, or the reason we fear that we're going to be exposed and uh, a lot of bad things are going to happen, is ultimately the root of this is that we don't fear God. That's the problem. We don't fear God. And uh, Flavel, basically, when you, read the, when, the, when you read the Puritans on a topic, like Flavel on this one, even though this is, this is a small little booklet adapted for the modern reader, it's a very uh, short, accessible, good book. Uh, you're dealing with a Puritan pastor who thought of everything. Uh, one of the other things that um, I, I read this book uh, together with my wife, Nancy, we, it's part of our morning routine, and it's, it's common for us to read through an old Puritan work. We also read on the subject of fear, uh, John Bunyan's The Fear of God, and, uh, and then this one, Triumphing Over Sinful Fear. One of the things that struck me, not just with Flavel, but with Bunyan and with other Puritan writers, is how thoroughly they knew their Bibles. So when they'll bring up some point, uh, you know, they'll bring up uh, a particular point of how you might uh, be tempted to fear in this particular instance. And then they bring in a, a, a text from, from Leviticus or from the Psalms. And it says exactly, it, it, it addresses exactly what they are addressing. They, they have uh, the world of Scripture at their fingertips. So, if you are a timid sort, if you are a fearful sort, uh, and I believe that, frankly, I believe that a lot of Christian women struggle with fear. If you struggle with fear, if you struggle with anxiety, if your life is full of what ifs, what if this, what if that, get a copy of this book, uh, Triumphing Over Sinful Fear. You could probably read it, read the whole thing in an evening or in, in an hour or so, and um, uh, and find a great deal of spiritual help. If you enjoyed this episode, check out more audio from Doug on the Canon app.